Welcome to another episode of Chan with the Plan the Podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan. And in this episode, I am going to help all the job seekers out there write a killer resume that will help tell their career story effectively to land more interviews. And to help me discuss this topic, I have brought in Virginia Franco, who is a multi-certified executive resume and LinkedIn writer whose documents help clients land interviews. She's the founder of Virginia Franco Resumes and has helped clients all over the world tell their stories and test the job search waters, often for the first time in years or after deciding to make a career change. She is also the co-founder of Job Search Journey, offering high-quality and affordable job search support from application to offer with do-it-yourself guides, kits, scripts, and templates. From a content and thought leadership perspective, Virginia has shared her insight as the host of the Resume Storyteller podcast and is a member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Her work can also be found in various publications and podcasts, including Job Hunt, Ivy Exec, JobScan, Business2Community.com, Career Sidekick, MedReps, CareerCloud, CareerMetis, and NotActivelyLooking.com. Now let's get into my discussion with Virginia on how to help you write a killer resume to get more job interviews. Good morning, Virginia. Welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, Max. How are you? Thank you for having me. Great. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure for you to uh, spend some time with us to discuss resume writing. Well, I'm excited to do so. I um, I don't. <laughs> most people get bored silly talking about resumes. So it makes me happy to have someone who wants to talk about it. Really, the people are bored about like talking about resumes. Uh, can you elaborate on that? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, people people that write for a living, we can geek out all day long on word choices and fonts and styles and all of that. And the, you know, the average person <laughs> doesn't want to talk about that. So they just want a resume to get them in the door, right? They don't care about the logistics of the resume. Well, well when they're job seeking, they're interested, but on a normal basis, they're not. So it's not really a hot topic of conversation. <laughs> for sure. And uh, before we start, uh, again, congratulations on your eldest for uh, graduating. Thank you so much. What do they plan to uh, do now? Yeah, so he graduated from UNC Chapel Hill in their business school, and he um, land. He actually had three offers, which was super exciting. He followed a lot of the job search advice that I share with my clients, um, and so he is. He got a two-year rotational program with a bank in New York City, so he'll be moving up there as a financial analyst. Nice. So it's great that he is like one call away from an expert resume writer to help. There you him go. Yeah, yeah. He gets, right? he gets, it's a nice perk, right? <laughs> yeah. And speaking of resume writing, what I've I found with professionals is that when they look for another opportunity, they seem to be only able to move horizontally. So what I mean by that is, let's say the marketing specialist, she or he wants to go to another company as a marketing manager but they seem not to be able to get to that next step. So they end up having to go to do a lateral move and then move up. Same thing for like a marketing manager. They spend a couple of years as a marketing manager, but they can't write a resume. They go to the director, they're getting frustrated. And then they end up just going to another job as a marketing manager, maybe work their way up there. Uh, do you see that very common with your clients in terms of not being able to write a resume for the next level? So the answer is actually twofold. Part of it is how I write the resume, but then the other part is how you go about job searching because in my view, it is making a next level move. Sometimes you need to do some things, things a little differently. When it comes to writing your resume and writing your LinkedIn profile, you need to 
go through job postings and sort of look at the compare it, compare a manager role to a director role and see the differences. And when you look at five job postings, probably four of the five are going to contain similarities in the differences between the levels. That's where you need to focus on. And so a lot of times in your, maybe in your marketing manager role, you have been given stretch assignments. You just haven't been given the title yet. So maybe you haven't actually led people, but you have led through influence or you have been a mentor, you train people. So you reference that kind of thing. The other thing that I do when I am writing for that next level up is, you know, I always focus on speaking about the achievements. I I try to be very achievement focused versus writing about my responsibilities because people are not very excited about reading what you do day in and day out, but they do get very excited when they hear about how you left your mark and what you're proud of. And when you start going into those higher level roles, in addition to showing your achievements, I think it's really important to sort of show that you understand the strategic impact of what that means. So for instance, let's say, and I'll use a sales example. Let's say that you're, you grew your territory 30% in two years. So that's a great stat. How you show the strategic impact of that is to say maybe grew revenues 30% in two years, which helped the company become the number two leader in the industry. So that's sort of showing that you understand the over, how, how your company and how your role sort of fits into the big picture. I found language like that to be really effective when you're going for that next level role. The other thing I would say is from a job search perspective, sometimes applying online is not your friend with looking for when you're looking to level up. And that's because when you're applying online, the recruiters and the HR people who are in charge of sort of reviewing all of those applications, they're looking for a hundred percent match. And so people that are looking laterally, it favors them. But where people can have success is where you say, okay, here are 10 companies that I'm really interested in and where I you know, would really love to take that next level role. And then you reverse engineer and you say, well, who, who do I know at those companies or who do I need to know? And maybe think of people that are maybe your peers, but that also, you know, skip level people and have conversations with them that those informational interviews lead to proper interviews that often lead to you finding out about jobs the minute they get posted. And so then you have someone on the inside that's looking for you and you're much more apt to be considered a candidate for a next level job than you would be if you just sort of applied blindly. Going back to what you said about the 100% match, mm-hmm. from what we've seen on LinkedIn or other expert job career sites, you don't need a 100% match to apply for a job. People say as low as 50 to 60%. So what's mm-hmm. your thoughts in terms of what position would be good, yeah. ideal to apply for from a percentage so, responsibility wise? Yeah, it really depends. So if you're If you're in an industry that's more heavily regulated, sometimes the recruiters really need to look at higher matches. But I've certainly seen where that's not the case. And people, you know, if you have 60, 70% of the matches, you'll be called in. You know, it's all a matter of your competition. Regardless, I've seen more people have success sort of bypassing applying online as that first point of entry really trying to get inside referrals, connecting with the recruiter ahead of time so that people are looking out for you versus just applying online because then you're up against the thousands in a way that you you, you can whittle down your competition a little bit by doing some of those side door methods. It's great that you mentioned networking because when someone wants to hire a resume writer, they think that they can bypass networking and just increase their response no. rate applying resume online. Resume is I- not, it, it's an important piece, but it is not a magic bullet. 
yeah so can you uh elaborate more on that in terms of what is the essentials of a good resume if you are mm-hmm. going to also network with it because people think that oh if i have a fine two resume i can get mm-hmm. more responses online but you're still saying you yeah. should still network so there's the parts of a resume you need whether you're networking or whether you're using it online are, are the same you need a headline that says, this is the kind of role that I'm targeting. So I am a marketing director. I'm a financial services finance analyst, or I'm a marketing director specializing in healthcare tech. You should customize your headline based on the person that you're going to be speaking with or the role that you are targeting. After that, you need a paragraph that it's a summary paragraph and sometimes we call it the branding paragraph, but that paragraph tells the reader, this is how I am a great fit for the role. What I do when I'm writing that paragraph is I, rather than describing someone at, with really strong adjectives, you know, what's happened is so many people use adjectives, they've become overused, so they've lost some of their value. Instead, I replace adjectives with little bits of information that are unique to that person's career. But I very much tie that paragraph back to what I see that people are looking for, and I use job postings as my guide for that. Then I go into the experience section and that's where you list, you know, ideally chronologically, this is where I worked. This is the company. This is my title. This is when I worked. And then you have, you know, four or five bullets that are results or achievement focused versus responsibility focused. From there, you have your education, maybe volunteer work industry affiliations. So that that's my style when someone has been out of school for quite a while. If it's a new grad resume, you move the education up to the top. But by and large, that's how I write my resumes. So in terms of if you want to go to the next level, you actually go mm-hmm. in the top like target marketing director. Yeah, you might say like career target marketing director. Exactly. But you can customize it by adding certain words. You can go from being industry neutral to industry specific. So again, healthcare marketing director means a little bit more than just plain old marketing director. And again, it sets the stage for that reader. And you probably already answered this. So we talked about how to write a resume to get the next level up in terms of pivoting mm-hmm. industries or pivoting roles. So let's say you're a marketing manager, but you want to go into project management or product mm-hmm. management. So the same formula applies where you have a good resume, try to look at project management, job ads, and then also do some networking to showcase that you're an ideal fit. That's right. So if you're trying to pivot industries, another thing that I will do is, you know, the biggest challenge that someone has is pivoting industries is they look at your resume and they say, oh, well, he's only ever done blah, 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 this this industry. How could he possibly do this for my industry? So what I try to do is oftentimes I can dig into someone's history and uncover where they've actually worked at different industries, but maybe that stuff doesn't show up on page until page two. So someone doesn't recognize it. So when someone is looking to make an industry pivot, sometimes I will list the industries they worked at in the branding paragraph at the top so that the reader can go, oh, well, he's clearly been able to jump from industry to industry. So that sort of helps to overcome that that question that someone might have in their head. And then roles would be kind of the same formula, right? If it's transitioned to a different type of role? Yeah. So if you're if you're project manager and you want to switch to product manager, then you might have something that says career target product manager. Okay. And then in terms of the bullet points, what level of sophistication should you write it? So what I'm trying to say is I've read resumes where they really overfluff their accomplishments. They mm-hmm. add a lot of jargon. And then I've seen some that just list the responsibilities, like manage 25 people, and that's all they write. So what's a good balance in terms of showcasing <laughs> yeah. that you know what you're doing, but not go overboard? Yeah. So managing 25 people 
doesn't really say a lot. It doesn't make you stand out from anyone. What you want is again, to show the impact of the value you did. So if you manage 25 people, what did that group do? Did you build that team from scratch? Did you have to train them and upskill them? So give some context to what you did and then show the result of it. If you built a team from the ground up and 99% of them stayed and the industry norm is that it's a high turnover industry, that means a lot more than just managing 25 people. So depending on your story and what you're proud of with when it comes to that responsibility, that's what you build out. And in terms of the achievements, we, we both agree that you need quantifiable metrics, but I have clients and I'm sure you have as well, mm-hmm. where they try to go to their old the experience. Yeah. Yeah. When I go to older experiences, oh, I, I don't remember any of my KPIs or anything. So yeah. is there a way to, is there an alternative or like what, what's your suggestion? Yeah. So I always try to talk through with them. Okay. Well, I start with what were you proud of in your role? So you know, I don't, I don't remember the numbers on this. Okay, well, let's think through it. What did things look like before you got there? What does this part of your job look like now? Maybe it's not a revenue number. Maybe it's that you save time. Maybe it's that people are happier now and you can tell because they've stayed. And so then you can speak to retention figures. If there is absolutely no number you can say increased, enhanced, you can, you can use descriptions to explain it, but whatever you can do to show a a contrast between what it was like before you got there and and how you made an impact. And a lot of times on your reviews, you have to show what you did. And so if you really think back on it, usually you can think through improvements. It's just a matter of sort of really thinking through the before and after. It's great that you mentioned that because a lot of companies, they have at least a year-end review, right? So if you can recall what you said to your boss at that time, you can probably get some nuggets. Yeah. Or how do you know that, you know, this was your responsibility? How do you know you did a good job? Let's talk, and, you know, and, and I walk them through it. Um, and usually it does trigger something that is sort of quantifiable. I want to go back to the new grads that don't have a lot of experience mm-hmm. and you put yeah. the education at the top. So mm-hmm. as the saying goes, they need experience, but they don't have it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. how would you position a resume for a recent grad that does not have a lot of experience, uh, work experience? Yeah. So you talk through what I always do with new grads is I, the first thing I do is I look at their job target. And based on that, I will go through their college curriculum and figure out what courses really align with that role. So if you're a journalism major, the fact that you took calculus, I'm not going to put on there. But if you took, I don't know, ethics and blah, 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 I I will reference that. So I will reference the courses that are relevant to the job target because those often contain keywords and they sort of show that you have received training that aligns with your job target. That's number one. The other thing I'll do is I will ask, well, what projects or papers are you proud of? It could be a group project. It could be a case study. It could be an exercise that you had to do for work and you can speak to how you wrote about it. I, you know, for business kids, a lot of times I've, they, they have to do case studies. They have to write about it. And if it's, if I can show a case study and, 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 and speak to that, what they wrote about, if it aligns with their job target, I'll, I'll include that in there. Then there's always internships and clubs that they did and any, any roles they had within those clubs, paid or unpaid, it all goes, but it, I use it within the lens of how does this align with your job target? Are there any skills that you learn from these experiences that relate to your target? You know, a lot of kids work, 
wait tables when they're in school, you know, they do those sorts of food, you know, service jobs, but that customer service angle, you know, treating the customer first, sometimes you have to reconcile the cash register. Like there's, there's skills that you do that sometimes can't align with your job target. So again, it goes back to what are you targeting and reflect back on how, what you did and, and how, what skills you learned that you would use for those roles today. And that's what you reference with that when you're explaining that role. So if you scooped ice cream at Baskin Robbins, the fact that you actually scooped the ice cream doesn't matter. But if you ended up having lots of return customers and they knew you by name, that's sort of building a community and a network and it's a service first mentality. So I would reference that when I'm explaining that role. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And it's great that you bring that up because a lot of recent grads, they're not sure if they should put their fast food job while they're in college or right. retail or what have you, right? But the fact that if you have some soft skills to de demonstrate your abilities to like communicate or leadership, mm -hmm. it, it's good to still put it on, right? Right. So what, like my son, when he was looking, he, this is for an internship that he was trying to do. It was an entrepreneurial, it was like a startup internship. His resume listed that, you know, he'd been a tutor. He taught SAT prep and math prep. We didn't write about the fact that, that he was really good at math. We talked about how he built his business from the ground up and that his students did, you know, they're, they're, they got, they raised their grades. And so that was sort of, it was quantifiable. It was descriptive and it aligned with the idea that he could do well in an entrepreneurial culture, which is what he was targeting. Great. And in terms of resumes, is there a difference in writing a resume, whether it's an entry-level job, such as, again, a marketing specialist or a mm -hmm. VP of marketing? Is, is there really a difference or the formula is still the same where, it's, where you want to be more achievement-oriented? So the differences is that, well, number one, you usually have more years under your belt. And so how you approach it is different. So usually when someone is entry-level, they don't have 15 years of experience. So if you have five years or less, often I'll keep it to one page. More than that, I'll, I'll likely go on to two pages. That's number one. I speak about the strategic impact much more when I'm starting to write, when I'm writing executive or aspirational executive resumes. Again, entry level, usually you're putting your education at the top. You're pulling on coursework and things like that, that when you've been out of school for seven years, the courses you took in college aren't going to matter. So that stuff sort of starts to come off. Okay. Makes sense. So for like a VP is more like strategic direction and then like entry level or even like a few years, try to keep it to a page and try to put some like achievements as well. Right? Yeah, the, the, it gets longer. Once you're at the, the manager, director, VP level, your education's at the bottom. Your GPA doesn't matter what you... The only time I'll even list anything related to school is if you were like a top athlete because that sort of shows a, a work ethic that's a little different. Again, the courses that you took don't matter um, because you have a, a, you know, a breadth of experience to pull from. Makes sense. And... You've reviewed a lot of resumes before you, you wrote them for clients. So what are the mm -hmm. common mistakes that professionals make when they write their resume? Well, we've alluded to one. One is that they make it all about their responsibilities versus listing those responsibilities within the context of an achievement or a result. Secondly, they don't have those core components. They don't have a headline that says, this is what I'm targeting, or a paragraph that explains how you're a good fit. I've seen people where they will just jump right into the experience section. And then what that does is it makes the reader have to sort of try to dig in and look at your job titles and read through and guess what kinds of roles you're suited for. You want to spoon feed that information to the reader. 
And then just from a sheer formatting perspective, a, a big error that I see is that people are still writing these as if the only way we look at them is by printing them out. Resumes are by and large read online. They do get printed out, but just usually it doesn't happen until a little bit later down the road. So you really have to write for the online read. Everything designed for screen reads luckily can print out beautifully. It's just that the reverse isn't true. Stuff designed for print doesn't convey as well to big screens, and it's really, really tough to read on mobile. Online, we have a tough time digesting really dense text. So big five-line paragraphs, bullets that are crammed together, stuff that gets indented, like outline format, the way we were taught in high school to write, that is really, really tough on the online skim read. Luckily, that's easy to overcome, though. You keep your bullets to two to three lines, you add white space, you left justify instead of indenting, and it just makes the format much easier to read. The other thing that I do to really keep the online eye in mind is that when people are reading, the way we read in print is that you know, you're used to opening up a page and your eye starts at the beginning of the sentence and you tend to go to the end. You'll start at the top of the page and sort of work your way down to the bottom. But on screens, we're like ADD. We jump all over the place depending on, on what interests us. So I will, I recognize that while someone might, might start at the beginning of a sentence, they might not always get to the end of the sentence because their attention has been drawn away to something else. And so that what that means for me is that I front load what I write. I put the most powerful part of whatever I'm trying to say at the beginning of the sentence because I don't know if the reader's ever going to get to the end. That's a great point you make in terms of, writing for paper compared to writing online. Like I, mm-hmm. I I think a lot of professionals don't really see that. They they just believe that the format online is the same as like printing, right? Because it looks the same, but it, it, it people read differently. Well, you know, when you are online and you, you if you're, you're signing something that it makes you read the terms of agreement and it's like, it's all this crammed together text and you go, Ugh, I can't read that. I think I think they do it intentionally because it's so brutal to read and they don't want you to read it. But that is the problem with online reading. Our eyes aren't designed to do that. And then when you're writing LinkedIn, actually, you know, these those online writing principles apply to everything from an email to a slide deck to your resume. Um, LinkedIn is 58 percent of the readers use mobile. So you've got to keep that small screen reader in mind. I didn't. I didn't even know that recruiters actually like read the resume through the mobile phone. I mean, a lot of them do. Sales people that are on the road or hiring hiring managers certainly do. It depends on how rushed they are. You know, at some point they'll look it up at a big screen. Sometimes they'll print them out at the end. But the first round reads off. You just don't know what they might be on. I mean, people are very mobile nowadays. That that makes sense. And going back to what you said about the LinkedIn. So how do you write? What's the difference between writing on a resume and writing for LinkedIn? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, So it has the same themes as the resume, but the tone is very different. Tone is conversational. So your LinkedIn should be written in the first person. LinkedIn is also super, if you're trying to be found on LinkedIn, it's very algorithm driven. So you need to put, there's certain places where you put keywords in your LinkedIn that can really help you to sort of catapult higher on searches. Your headline at the top, right where your picture is, should not default to your current job title, it should reference the kind of role that you are targeting. Um, You need to think about the words that someone's going to use to search for talent like you and make sure that your headline includes that, those kinds of words. And then your about section, you know, speaks to why people tend to bring you on. You can tell a little bit about your story there. You have 
much more room to write in that section. You get 2,600 characters in the about section of LinkedIn. And so it's a real opportunity for the reader to learn a bit about you, what makes you tick and why those things make you really well suited to the role that you're targeting. I think it's a great section to use when you are career changing because if you're making an industry switch and the reason behind it is because, I don't know, you grew up in this environment and you want to get back to it or you've always been interested in it for whatever reason, that's you can reference that in your about section. Studies show that when someone is hooked by the first couple of lines of the LinkedIn about section, they'll actually spend a little bit more time reading it. The other thing you want to do with your with LinkedIn is you want the skills section to really be closely aligned with the skills that come up on those job postings. And you can use sites like Skillsinker and JobScan to, to identify those skills and make sure that they're listed in your LinkedIn, in your LinkedIn uh, skills and endorsement section so that your profile really closely aligns with searches. Yeah, in terms of writing in first person, like one of the cringe things that I've seen with professionals is they write mm-hmm. in third person. So for example, for you, it'd be like, Virginia is a resume yeah. writer. That's yeah, like, like you're writing as, your, as a book. And honestly, you could do that 10 years ago. That wasn't a problem, but LinkedIn has evolved. It's a social professional platform. It's a chance for the reader to hear your voice. That has not carried over into resumes. It has a little bit, but not, it's not industry standard. So Resume is still third person. Well, it's actually, it's first person, but you never use the word I. You take it, it, the I is sort of silent. But LinkedIn is absolutely okay to say me, I, ours, all that kind of stuff. So let's talk about cover letters for a second. There's obviously uh-huh. percentages discussed mm-hmm. in terms of how many people actually read a cover letter. Yeah. It, it seems to be a low number. So what's your thoughts on cover letters? Like if it's optional, yeah. should you still write one? Like what's your thoughts on that? So my thoughts are, and this is all just sort of anecdotal, but based on people that I have asked on Twitter, I have a lot of recruiters and hiring managers. My gut take is that they probably get thrown out at least a third of the time. They're not read, but when they do get read, they can make a really big difference. So All you have to lose is your time. There's no downside. Make it memorable. Use it to really explain why you, if you are making a, trying to target a change, this is another place for you to explain the why. If it gets tossed out, it gets tossed out. But what if it made a big difference? Because there are some people that are passionate about reading them. So why not try to appeal to those people? Yeah, it's a good point, right? Because like you only, get, you only got one shot at these jobs. So even if it's optional, you should still write it because you want to put your best before, right? If it's required, absolutely. But if not, again, no downside in my mind, except for your time. So speaking of time, how would you like write a good cover letter? I know a lot of people, they just template it, right? They just change the name or change the company at the top and mm. then they leave the same thing for the rest of it, which I think we both agree that that's not the right approach. So how, how would you write a good tailored cover letter? There's a couple of different formats that you can use. A sort of a standard one is where you lead off saying, you know, dear hiring team at OVA, this is why people bring me in time and time again for these kinds of roles, you know, recognizing that results speak volume. Here are three highlights that sort of showcase what I can do and then have a paragraph that sort of closes out by telling maybe a little bit about the person that, you know, where you say, I, this is why I'm really interested in making this pivot or, you know, if you, I don't know if, if there's an elephant in the room, like maybe there was a gap in your employment, you might say, well, you know, during this time, I, this is what I've done to sort of keep my knowledge current and prepare myself for this transition and then close out by thanking them, asking for next steps and, and then sign out. You mentioned a good point about work gaps. Should you mention them on your resume? 
So again, it depends on how long it is. So if it's just been a couple of months, you know, your resume, you always need to close out with your end date. And so if it's, you know, what we're in May while we're recording, if you lost your job in March, you don't really need to account for what you've been doing for the last eight weeks, because that's pretty small. But if you're nine months out at that point, ideally you do reference what you've been doing. If you've you know, stepped away for childcare or elder care, or you lost your job because of COVID layoffs, it's definitely okay to reference that. If you are, if there's anything you're doing volunteer wise or otherwise where you are lending your skills, absolutely what you could do is you could sort of create a job title that references that. So for instance, me, when I, you know, I took a, when my kids were really little, I did have some breaks. And so my resume at that point, you, sometimes I took like a paid job here and there, but sometimes I just would write a press release for someone that was a friend, or I might write a article. You know, I, I was just always writing for people and half the time it was just for friends. I didn't get a dime, but I sort of created a job entry that talked about freelance work that I was doing. So as a writer, the reader doesn't need to know if I only did it five hours a month versus 50 hours a month, but I sort of amassed a body of work to show for that time. I've seen other people where they decided to go after a certification or again, they lent their skills for free to someone while they were job searching. So it's all about referencing what they did. I actually had a client a couple months back who really wanted, she quit her job because she wanted to, she wanted to leave corporate America. She wanted to get into nonprofit. So we created an entry that said, you know, took a voluntary sabbatical to explore the change, continued volunteering in all these nonprofits. And that's what her job entry read. So it explained the gap. Was that the uh, article that you wrote a few weeks ago or was a month mm -hmm. ago? I think when you were writing about this person trying to transition to nonprofit. Probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I sometimes I'll do case studies on that. Yeah. So that was her. Yeah. And then that, that's how I uh, reached out to you say, oh, so he uh, found me. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I saw that article. I was like, oh, this is interesting yeah, because a lot yeah. of people don't know how to write resumes for like yeah. transitioning. Right. And so again, we wrote at her res because it was a career change. We really, really only pulled from her, from her experience, the stuff that was really, that a nonprofit would care about. A nonprofit didn't care if you're, if you, if you grew your revenues 50%, but they do care if you were, if you worked, if you did things very leanly and you streamlined processes. And then we talked a lot about her volunteer work. Nice. And I want to ask you in terms of like the future of the, the resume. Mm -hmm. As you know, some companies now, they have like assessment tests, they're mm -hmm. trying to do or assignments and stuff. And obviously there's also emphasis on networking now yeah. than before, just due to the, just do LinkedIn now being more of a socially accepted professional platform. Mm -hmm. So where do you see the resume play a part in a job search for the future? Yeah, no, that's such a good question. Look, I've been waiting for, I've been seeing the predictions that resumes are going to die since the day I started writing resumes. So I don't know if it's really going to die. But what I will say is that it is always important to be able to tell your story in writing, whether that is on a screen through LinkedIn on a piece of paper or something that you email to someone electronically. So right now, I, I think the resume and LinkedIn, for instance, are really equally important because you are using your resume to often reach out to people, have networking conversations. You want to leave them with something that they can then pass along to people. But then we know those people are going to get looked up on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, you might reach out to people, expand your network that way. And then at some point, someone might ask for your resume. So you still sort of need both. The assessment tests have been going on forever. You know, I, I remember uh, Capital One in the 90s was doing assessment tests. So I don't think that that's going to influence things. But 
the rise in digital, what that's doing is it's changing how the, how the resumes are written and it's sort of the other tools are gaining prominence. But at this point, the resume still is not obsolete because people still often just want something to read. And what I like, what I appreciate about a, appreciate about a resume that you can't do with LinkedIn is that you can very much micro target it where LinkedIn is written for a, you know, a broader audience. That makes sense, right? Because you, you can't target your LinkedIn multiple times, right? Like you right, you can't change general. your headline yeah. based on who's looking at it, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then just in terms of like passing a, a document to somebody, like if you, if you have a good informational interview, the person might mm-hmm. be, oh, uh, send me your resume. So like, right. you do need the resume in, even in, when it comes to networking. That's right. You do. And I want to get into more of the uh, the business side of resume writing. So okay. wh- why should someone hire a resume writer such as yourself compared to doing it on their own? So I've always said that if you're getting interviews, then whatever you're doing with your resume is probably working. If you are a really good writer and you're comfortable writing about yourself, you probably don't need a writer. I, you know, I didn't write my own resume because I was too close to my own blood, sweat, and tears. I had someone else do it, but not everyone is like that. If you are struggling to tell your story, if you feel like your story is complicated and you just can't figure out how best to tell it, then a third person that you can sort of tell tell the story to, and then ha- they, are, they are expertly trained in pulling out the pieces of it and, and figuring out how best to align it with your target, that, that's where a third person could come into play. You know, I could cut my own hair. It would take me much longer and I probably wouldn't do as good a job as my hairdresser. I sort of like in resume writing the same way. The people that are in this, just like any industry, they train, they study. It's a continually evolving craft Stuff I wrote five years ago that killed it wouldn't kill it today. I keep up with that. A job seeker, that's not their job. So they don't know those things. So there, there is benefit to working with someone. But if, if you're like, again, if you're working with, if you're getting interviews, then you, know, you don't need it. Whatever you're doing works. So stick with that. So in terms of getting interviews, like what's, you, you might not have this number, but like what's the, the average interview rate for applying online. So is it like, for example, let's say you have a good resume, you apply mm-hmm. to 10 jobs, you get two responses back. Is oh, that a right. good number? Like, like is, is there a benchmark that people should So, um, I mean, I, I've heard all sorts of different numbers. The one that seems to be the common number is anywhere between three and 5% of all. If you apply to a hundred jobs, you should expect to hear back from three to five people. That's sort of the average, you know, mine do better, but 15 responses still is sort of, not that great, which is why I don't love applying online again is that first point of entry, especially as you get higher up the ladder. But it's a it, it can be a pretty tough return in super competitive industries or in you know when you're targeting bigger companies where you just you're just up against hundreds of applicants, sometimes even more than that. I've had people reach out to me saying, Oh, I want to get a job at Google. Can you help me write a resume to get in? Right? Which leads me to my next question. What does a resume writer not do? So because the resume isn't the magic bullet. If someone says, yeah, I want to get a job at Google, I can say, I've, I've written lots of resumes for people that have gotten jobs at Google, but are you a really good interviewer? Are you, how are you going to go about your job search? Are you just going to apply to Google jobs online all day long? Then that might not work for you. So yeah, a resume writer is no guarantee you'll get a job. A resume writer who teaches you how to job search can make a big impact though on your ability to get an interview. That makes sense for sure. And in terms of like price points, mm-hmm. resume writing, like the prices like go all over all the over. place. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how do you know you're getting your money's worth. So I've always said that 
I've seen people charge $99 all the way up to $3,000 for a resume. Everyone has different business models. Some people, it, it depends on what you want. Some people have teams of writers to support you. Sometimes it's, some people are independent businesses and they work one-on-one. Some people do everything by interview. Other people have you fill out you know, a, a series of worksheets and then do maybe a shorter interview and then get to work writing them. Some people turn them around in five days. Some of them take three weeks. Some of them say you have two to two rounds of edits. Sometimes they let you do unlimited. So what you pay for can depend greatly. It also depends on your level, what you're targeting, the shape of your current resume, how challenging your job target is and where the person lives. Like you might it might be more expensive to hire a writer in New York than it is someone that's in somewhere in Iowa, for instance. I have found, and this is for my clients, that you know, be prepared to sort of invest 1% of your annual salary on writing this once. And then, so for instance, my business model is I work one-on-one with people in perpetuity. So they might spend a, and then I charge flat hourly updates to write documents over and over again. So It's a big one-time investment, but then it's pretty negligible for the course of their career. But I do have, you know, I recognize that not everyone can invest that. I mean, not everyone has those sorts of funds, nor do they have the need for that sort of funds, which is why I co-founded Job Search Secret Weapon with two colleagues. What we did is we created really high-quality low cost worksheets, templates, videos that guide people through the process that we work with our clients one-on-one. And you can take that information and apply it in a DIY format. And our, you know, our products are $4, $5. I think the most expensive one is like $120. So very different price point than I charge working one-on-one high touch with my clients. Oh, I'd speak of which, uh, say hi to Sarah and Adrian for me. Uh, when you I, will, I will, I <laughs> will. Yeah, they, they, you, all three of you make like great LinkedIn content and I always like comment all on things. them when I get a chance. Well, we, you know, we all have our own private practices and we were actually at a industry conference. One thing that writers do is they go to association conferences and to keep their knowledge current. So we went to a career thought leaders conference is what it was called. And we were just lamenting that we have these big waiting lists and we know there's people that have that really need support and we couldn't work with them either because our schedules were too booked out or because they didn't have the budget. And so that's when we hatched Job Search Secret Weapon. We wanted to give them something that was affordable, but was still really, really high quality. And there's nothing really else like that on the market that we've seen. So that is our baby. And we're actually in the middle of doing a big reboot with a new site that should be coming out this summer. So you, you met them both at a conference and then you just mm-hmm. started talking. Well, we Sean knew each and, other yeah. online. We knew each other sort of online to the community, but we met in person at this conference. And literally the idea got hatched around a fire. We were just sitting around talking, talking shop. So, so great minds, like yep. great minds bounce ideas on <laughs> yep. each other. Say, oh, let's just start this up. Yeah. And we live in different parts of the country or Adrian lives in Canada and Sarah and I are in North Carolina. She was in Ohio at the time. So it's literally been a business born on WhatsApp and on the phone and on Zoom. So. The great thing about like online community is that you could just That's find right. like, people in different areas to like build something yeah. together, right? Yeah, exactly. Going back to like choosing the right resume writer. So let's say mm-hmm. I'm assuming you have like consultation calls before you work with a person, right? Yeah, I do. I I speak with everyone beforehand, but everyone does things differently. Not all writers are like that. I just always, for me personally, I need to want to make sure that people think that I'm a good fit and, and vice versa. Make sure they like my business model and how how I how the process works. So I do a quick 30 minute call. 
I'll give them feedback. And then if we decide, and, 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 and from that discussion, that's when I'm in a position to be able to quote them a fee. Because again, if their resume was professionally written and it looks kick butt, I, maybe I don't need to do as much work, or maybe it's an easy transition. You know, there's just lots of variables and I'm in a position to quote a fee. And then we can see if, if they want to work with me and I want to work with them. So what questions should a professional looking for a resume writer ask the resume writer to see if it's a good fit or not? I always recommend asking for samples, asking about, uh, you know, will I work with you or will I work with one of your teammates? Ask about the process for editing the timeline around it. I also recommend you look at their reviews, you know, go to Google, go to their LinkedIn recommendations and see if what people are saying resonates with you. Great. And you are, you're a one-woman shop, right? Like you, you don't have a team. I am. Yeah. No, I don't have a team of writers, but I know a lot of fabulous business owners that do. And that, and that process works great for a lot of people. So again, no one fits all. So that was leading to my next question. Like, is, is it better to work with, or like, what's the difference between working with a solopreneur like yourself or a big company that has a bunch of resume writers in-house? Is there a difference? Well, yeah, because a company with a lot of writers can squeeze you in more quickly than someone who works one-on-one. I can only work with a couple clients a week. And so if someone has a has an immediate need, I'll, I'll refer them to one of my colleagues that has a team of writers because they can get them in last minute. That makes sense. I want to end the podcast with one personal question. So my podcast okay. deals with, uh, helping people overcome roadblocks in their career. So yep. whether it's professionally or personally, can you tell me a time that you had a big roadblock that you had to overcome? And what did you do to overcome this uh, roadblock or challenge? Yeah, I'm, so starting this business was a big roadblock for me. I had been out of the workforce officially for four years. I had moved to a new city. The recession hit. My I had three kids in at four kids, three of them were in toddlers still. And I, we took a huge pay cut and I had to figure out how in the world I was going to make money, recognizing that I needed to find childcare possibly for three children. And so I did an assessment and I said, what, what am I good at? What Am I good at that I like to do? Because there's plenty of things I'm good at that I really don't like to do. What do I, what does it seem like the market will bear? What will, will anyone pay me for the stuff that I'm good at and that I like? And then I, I didn't have the nerve to start my own company, but what I did was I said, that's when it dawned on me. I've been writing resumes forever. Didn't know people got paid for it, but I started doing some research and discovered it. It was something I liked. It was something I was good at. And there was a market. I didn't know thing one about starting a business and they didn't have time to market because again, I was drowning in little people. So I started by subcontracting with writers, people who had a team of writers and it gave me a lot of flexibility. I actually was able to work from home. I didn't need to hire childcare. And I learned a lot. I perfected my knowledge of resume writing. I started learning about how people ran their businesses. And, and I did that for, gosh, maybe four, four or five years until I was ready to go out on my own. Then my kids were in elementary school. I could, you know, I had more time for marketing and things like that. And, and I, I had a lot more confidence and, and my skills were that much better. Thank you for sharing uh, that with us, Virginia. And again, thank you again for coming on my podcast. How can people connect with you or find you online? Oh, gosh. So I am across all the socials. Uh, JobSearchSecretWeapon.com is the company with the high quality DIY stuff. We're on all the different on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can connect with me one-on-one through VirginiaFrancoResumes.com. I'm constantly on LinkedIn. You can check me there as well, as well as um, I have a podcast called Resume Storyteller. 
Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of it. So in terms of the podcast, as I started mine in January, like when did you start yours and why did you decide to start one? So I just realized I've, I was really excited because JobScan actually re- recognized my podcast and they noted how many podcasts. Apparently, I started three and a half years ago. I didn't realize it. I've had 130 episodes. I had no clue. I started it because I'm a writer, but my I wasn't a recruiter by trade. I did a little bit in HR, but I don't have an HR background. And so I wanted to close the gap for myself and to help listeners hear on these, hear what it's like on the other side of the hiring table. And I love to interview people. And so I thought, well, this is great. I could just talk on the phone and record it and then share it with other people. And it has been wonderful. I have learned so much. I have brought on recruiters, HR folks, people that study LinkedIn all day long, mindset coaches, just, you know, all the things that, that there, there's just so many things that you can use to support your job search. And I want to bring experts in that can help. What did you mean that you didn't know that you had so many episodes already? I did. I just had never kept track. And <laughs> I saw it in JobScan listed me and they said, and she's had, she started in blah, blah, blah. And it said it had, a, I had a hundred and something episodes and I had no clue because I just come, I just do four episodes a month and, and I, but I never tracked it. The, the power of a right value, <laughs> so, right? Because people will yeah, start exactly. noticing. <laughs> so that was exciting. I just started this journey as well, right? Yeah, congratulations. We'll keep it up. So you never, like, I mean, it's just been so wonderful in terms of expanding my network. I feel like I have a hugely expanded community now, thanks to the podcast. So very grateful. Yeah, I agree too. Like, I wouldn't like be talking to you or other entrepreneurs, recruiters, if it wasn't for this podcast. So yeah, yeah podcasting right. is definitely a great networking tool for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, Max. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for coming on. Thank you again to Virginia for coming on my podcast to help all the professionals out there looking for their next job, helping them build the foundational pieces for the job search. Although the main conversation was to provide you tips on how to write an effective resume, we also touched upon LinkedIn as well as a great tailored cover letter. I would like to take a few minutes here to highlight some key points that I think would be very important to my audience. The one main thing that Virginia touched on is that depending where you are in your career is how you will write the resume. So if you are looking to look externally to apply to the next level up in your career, so for example, if you're trying to go from manager to director, looking at current manager job ads with director ads and see what the differences are and see what director level responsibilities you're currently doing can really help craft a good story to showcase to recruiters that you're ready for the next step. If you're looking to pivot industries, then highlighting other industries that you've been able to transition into successfully at the top of your resume in your branding paragraph, as Virginia would call it, can help close the gap with recruiters that are looking at you, but you don't have that industry experience. But by showcasing that you've been able to transition successfully in other industries, they may be willing to give you a shot. And finally, if you're a new grad, and I've been there as well, you're a new grad with no to limited amount of real work experience, So it's hard for you to craft a good story that will make you a standout candidate for these entry-level roles. So what is suggested is that you work backwards. So what's your job target? So for example, if you are trying to get into marketing, go through all your coursework, whether it's projects, case studies, and showcase some of the skills that you would develop that a marketer would need in order to be successful. You can also look at internships and clubs that you have participated in and what other skills that you have developed in those experiences to help close the gap. And the last thing I want to mention in terms of writing a resume from an overall perspective 
is that the common mistake that Virginia mentioned that a lot of professionals still make is that they write the resume for the paper read, not for the online read. A lot of recruiters, when they first look at the resume, they look at it on a computer screen or even mobile phone. It's only when you go farther into the process where they'll actually print it out. With that being said, when you write your resume, consider the online reads. So no long paragraphs and bullet points should be no more than two to three lines at most. Again, this is Chan with The Plan The Podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan. If you found this episode helpful, I would really appreciate it if you share it with your friends and family to help support the show. I post new episodes every Tuesday on all popular podcast platforms. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, where I post daily content on topics such as job search tips, career advice, and personal branding. That's it for me, and I'll see you next time.